Why do you follow Jesus? Maybe first I should ask, do you? Do you follow Jesus? Or are you just a Christian? By the way, there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't follow Jesus. <laughs> but why? Why do you follow Jesus? As I read the story in John chapter 12, I saw three reasons to follow Jesus, two of them wrong reasons and one of them the right reason, and they were convicting for me and I hope they are convicting for you. So a subtitle would be, lowly and riding on a donkey, or I thought about, get off your high horse and follow the guy on the little donkey. Jesus came, lowly and riding on the donkey. The king is coming. That's the message of Palm Sunday. The king is coming. In fact, he already came. Maybe you missed him. His feet were dragging on the ground. He was humble. He had a towel on his arm and a cross on his shoulder. And guess what? He's still coming. And he will reign over everything. The Bible says no one will say, here or there is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you or between you or among you. It advances invisibly for now among those who follow the suffering servant. The greatest will be the servant of all, and a little child shall lead them. Let's read John 12, 12 through 19 one more time from the New International Version. And I challenge you to have your Bible open uh, because I believe the Word of God is alive and that the Holy Spirit is speaking through it to us right now. So be sure you have your ears open and your Bible open so that you can hear Him. This is what John 12, 12 to 19 says. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on His way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. This is John actually confessing. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. All four Gospels have this story in the account of Jesus. It was so important for them to relate what happened that day on the Mount of Olives that all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, relate it in their various ways. John's account starts with the next day. Now that means the next day after Mary had anointed him with her uh, ointment of precious nard in preparation for his death. Chapter 11 is relating the story of Lazarus rising from the dead. This is in Bethany, just a few miles away from Jerusalem. And there was a crowd. There was a crowd there because of Lazarus. They all wanted to see Lazarus. Uh, chapter, or verses 9 to 11 say that uh, uh, the Jews actually wanted to kill Lazarus because 
he was drawing so many crowds around Jesus. Jesus was staying there at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. It's now called El Zaria, after Lazarus' name. So the town is actually in Palestine, and the name is named after Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. The gossips were working hard. It, uh, they kept telling people, spreading the word. Verse 17, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. If you have been encountered by the power of Christ, you can't help but talk about it. Jeremiah says there were a few of us that went to Faith Over Fear last week, but 15 folks from Fellowship Community Church joined them, and that looks like it's going to become a monthly occurrence, the joining of two local churches for evangelism along Paulista Avenue. I hope you can join sometime on the last Sunday of the month, leaving right from here, right from church. Usually the group is called to fasting before and praying together to go out with Gospels of John in their hands and sharing the good news, not stopping telling people about the power of Christ to change the world. There he is. Thank you, Jeremiah, for that uh, amen. More of you can join him in that, too, if you like. Jesus finds a donkey, the colt of a donkey. Now, Matthew 21, in Matthew's account, says uh, he told his disciples to go into the town. They'll see a donkey tied up, and they just untie it. But the, the owner would come and say, hey, what are you doing? And they were to say, the Lord needs this donkey. And the guy would let him have it. And that's exactly what happened. Now, that's a conviction of me. So what... When I have something that I value and the Lord comes and says, hey, I need that. Maybe it's your car, maybe it's your money, your time, your effort, your life. And he says, I, I need this to show my glory. I hope we will be as open-handed as the owner of that donkey and its colt was. It says they brought both. So they had a, a mother donkey and a colt donkey. And Jesus, according to Zechariah 9, rides the little one. There's a lot of metaphors you could draw out of that. In my, my mind, it's like, this is the beginning of the kingdom. It's going to grow up. The king is coming on a white horse originally. But he rides this little donkey, and I picture him with his feet dragging in the dust, looking a little foolish, just like us waving palm branches in church. But people meet him from the festival. Now, I looked this up online, uh, Google Maps. There it is. So Bethany is over here, now called El Zaria. The Mount of Olives is about there. And the Temple Mount is here. The whole walk, if you were to walk it, uh, takes about an hour and a half, about five kilometers, six kilometers, something like that, to walk from Bethany over the Mount of Olives, down through the Kidron Valley, and up to the, to the Temple Mount. I've never been there. But YouTube has all kinds of videos. You can just go for the walk on YouTube if you want, because I, I did it this week. Uh, but the idea here of what, what John says is that people at the festival heard that Jesus was coming. Jesus is coming. And so they took palm branches, and they set out to go over to the Mount of Olives. And, at, and I pictured them coming up over the hill, and then on the other side, they're coming from Bethany. And so there's this double crowd that's coming together, and they begin to shout. Somebody realizes that Psalm 118 is being fulfilled. And we don't know how that happened, but they begin to shout out, Lord, save, Hosanna, be our Savior, you're our hope. 
Now, we don't know what they were thinking. Each one probably had a particular trouble to be saved from. Many of them were probably thinking of Rome. Deliver us from our captors, our, our, those who are in occupying Israel. But if you go to Psalm 118, and I think we'll just read 25 and 26. If you have your Bible, just turn to Psalm 118, 25 and 26. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. So you see this crowd coming down from the house of the Lord to meet the coming king. They know he has power to heal. They know he has power to raise the dead. And they believe he's the king of Israel. And in John, it actually says that. Blessed is the king of Israel. Psalm 18 talks about the festal shout. Uh, verse 27, we, with bows in hand, with branches in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. So John says, we didn't understand it. We didn't get it. We just kind of were along for the ride. We put down our coats in the, in the dirt so that the donkey could walk over them. We cut the branches. But later we understood that this was the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. If you, if you want to turn to that, you can, but I'll read it for you here. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's a pretty big prophecy. And they saw this entry into Jerusalem as the beginning of the fulfillment of that prophecy. So that's what happened. Jesus ended up riding down into the Kidron Valley on that little colt, up to Jerusalem on the other side, and right to the temple. Now in Matthew and Mark and Luke, that's where he does the cleansing of the temple, or perhaps the next day he comes back and does the cleansing of the temple. And that's the beginning of the last week of his life before he's crucified on the Passover, on Passover night. Now how do we bring this to our own lives and interpret it for ourselves. I think the question is, are you in that procession? Do you follow the lamb that was slain? And if so, why? Why are you here? Why are you following him? Why do you trust in him? What are you hoping for out of that effort? There are three kinds of people following Jesus on the, the triumphal entry. Uh, the first were those looking for a spectacle. They had heard about the raising of Lazarus and they didn't want to miss the next one. The second were the Pharisees, the leaders, the religious leaders who were envious of Jesus' popularity and felt their reputation slipping out of their hand. Jesus was a menace for those who were trying to build their religious careers. And the third were the disciples who were faithful to the end, followed him all the way to the cross and the tomb and the resurrection, and then even to their own crosses. 
So first, those who were looking for a, a spectacle. These were the curious. They wanted to see Lazarus as much as they wanted to see Jesus and touch him to say, hey, were you really dead? Yeah, I was really dead. And who's this Jesus guy? Maybe he would do another trick. Remember Herod at the, at the crucifixion? Pilate sends Jesus over to Herod, and it says Herod wanted to see him do a miracle. We all come to Jesus with needs, and we hope he can satisfy them. But in John chapter 6, Jesus says, you follow me because you ate the food that I multiplied for you. Not because of me, but because of what you get from me. John, uh, just continuing on from our reading, if you're in John chapter 12, if not, go back there and look at verse 20. There were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Now, John is doing this with a, with a twinkle in his eye because Bethsaida was this little country town on the fishing lake of Galilee, far from Jerusalem. And these Greeks were probably very important, pretty wealthy people who had come from another country to the Passover, and they want to see Jesus. They want to get his autograph. They want to have a selfie with him. Not really. But they, they, wanted, they, wanted, they wanted the experience of seeing this great teacher. And they go to this nobody from nowhere, Philip from Bethsaida, and say, hey, we want to see Jesus. We heard you were following him. Philip's so humble that he goes to Andrew, says Philip went to Andrew, and then both of them go to Jesus and tell, them, tell him about these Greeks that want to see him, thinking, well, Jesus is going to take advantage of this opportunity to expand his reach, to multiply his followers and his reputation. And Jesus answers this very strange statement in verses 23 of John 12. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I'm sure all of these spectacle seekers got really excited with that phrase. Whoa, we're going to see him be glorified. Maybe he's going to glow like on the Mount of Transfiguration. What was he talking about? Verse 24 says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And then he begins to apply it to us. Verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, verse 27, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So there's the hint of the right motivation for following Jesus. It's not to save you out of all your troubles. It's to give you the power of the Holy Spirit for perseverance through them and victory over sin, over the devil, and over the world through the indwelling power of the Spirit. And even Jesus is troubled because he knows what's ahead of him. And he says, what am I going to do? What do I say? Lord, rescue me. No, Lord, glorify yourself through my life and death and resurrection. The religious leaders, the second category of people following him, were afraid that their popularity was leaving. Listen to what verse 10 and 11 of chapter 12 say. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. They 
they knew the truth, that Jesus made himself of no reputation, and he was risking their reputations by following him, by making himself more popular than they were. They were losing what they worked for, which was their reputation. Verse 19, what we read earlier. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Well, where is nowhere? Nowhere was not going up in their religious careers. Nowhere meant being nobody like Philip was and like Jesus was making himself. They were following for the wrong reason. They didn't know that John, what John the Baptist said, which is, I must decrease and he must increase. So my word to you, leaders of families, of ministries of this church is don't be jealous of what God is doing through somebody else outside of yourself. If you don't get the glory, he deserves the glory. Say like Jesus, glorify your name. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24, underlines that when Paul says, Jews demand signs. They're the spectacle seekers. Greeks look for wisdom. Those are the ones that want to grow in the, in the eyes of the people. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And so that comes to the third group of people following, and I hope you're among these. Faithful followers of the Lamb who was slain, who believed that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy, by going down before he went up. So this travel through the valley of Kidron and up to the temple is a metaphor of Jesus' life and ministry who made himself a servant, humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross, went down to the lowest place, even as we believe on the, uh, during his death, went into hell, blew the gates off of hell, and led captives in his train, those who had never heard the gospel, who had died even in the days of, of Noah. So he went down to the lowest place, and then he's raised so that his name is above every other name. Jesus was fulfilling scripture. Jesus was going down to the lowest place. Jesus was planting a seed that would grow to fill the whole world with seeds that could also, in turn, be planted. Whoever serves me, he says, must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. There's a cute uh, story by uh, a woman named Eileen Lagier uh, called Palm Monday. Palm Monday. You kids might like this. So. The young donkey awakened, his mind savoring something pleasant. He arched his neck, walking with mincing steps. That group of people by the well, he said, I'll go show myself to them. They stared at him in amazement. Someone threw a stone. Miserable infidels, he muttered as he turned away in rage. I'll go down by the market. Some good people are sure to be there. But it was the same. The palm branches, where are the palm branches, he shouted. Have you forgotten? Dazed, he returned to his mother. Foolish child, she said gently. Without him, you can do nothing. The lesson is clear. 
Without Jesus, we are worthless. No one is seeking us. Jesus is the answer that they are seeking in us. How do we apply this? Let's take it to a practical level. Number one, be a cross-bearer, not a thrill-seeker. Be a cross-bearer, not a thrill-seeker. Don't be distracted by the spectacle. You know, the Antichrist will come doing signs and wonders, and many will be deceived. So often, we want to see the spectacle. And there's good, there's good uh, power in prayer. God does do miracles, but our purpose is to glorify the Father and not to have the spectacle. Secondly, Love and follow Jesus, not your earthly life, not your reputation. You're not building yourself with Jesus. You're building Jesus with yourself. We all come with felt needs, and Jesus satisfies those needs. He heals. He forgives. He raises us up out of the ash heap. But when he does that, he says, now get on your little donkey and follow me with a cross on your shoulder so that you can expand the kingdom of seeds that falls into the ground and dies and multiplies the good news. Love and follow Jesus for himself. Don't be jealous of his glory or of other people who are sensing his movement like the Pharisees and, I might add, like Lucifer was. And then finally, rejoice and praise him no matter what happens. The king is coming. There is reason to rejoice in every circumstance, in every situation. You can remember that he is on his way to filling all things. He already started the process and he always finishes what he started. In the glory of the cross, the hope in the resurrection, and his ultimate victory over all things he will reign from the river to the ends of the earth. He's begun the filling of everything. Follow him with joy in your heart, knowing that that's true. One day, he's going to make that same journey from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, but then he's going to ride a white horse, and there will be a sword coming out of his mouth, and his face will shine like the sun, and those with him will be mighty angels in their glory, and the saints in unnumbered soldier lines. This time, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I hope you're following him. I'd like to give you a chance to do that very practically right now because we're going to follow our children. You ready, kids? Here they come.